Welcome to The Grizzly Beat, a podcast of Grizzly Times and Louisa Wilcox, where we interview scientific experts, managers, Native Americans, writers, and others to share their knowledge, perspectives, and experience. This comes at a time of enormous interest in the grizzly bear's future as the government proposes to remove federal protections and citizens are asking important questions. We hope the information shared here will help listeners shape their own answers. This is Louisa Wilcox with Grizzly Times, and I'm delighted to be talking today with an old friend and colleague, Dr. Barry Gilbert. Uh, Barry is a grizzly bear expert and retired professor of animal behavior at Utah State University. And Barry has studied grizzly bears from Yellowstone to Alaska for 40 years, and he's also studied how they're being managed by the government. Uh, Barry, maybe you could start um, by sharing how you got interested in grizzly bears and how your career with bears got started. Yeah, sure. Uh, I worked in uh, Yellowstone on a project as a postdoc on antelope uh, behavior there, the pronghorn, I should say. And, uh, of course, that was right in the post-dump uh, Craighead era, and the biologists that I got to know uh uh, Glenn Cole and the people in the biologist's office were all talking about grizzly bears. And uh, I, I got an interest, and when I came back to Utah State, I proposed a uh, study to uh, the park, and uh, they funded one student to look at the response of grizzly bears uh, to people on trails. They were concerned about the increased uh, visitation, especially backcountry use, and particularly horse packs and things like that that are going deep into areas where uh, grizzly bears haven't been exposed to people that much. So uh, uh, I started a study, and uh, unfortunately, on the upper gallop, and uh, I walked into a bear and uh, uh, sent me to hospital and uh, further uh, study of grizzly bears. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> After that, we went to Yosemite and studied black bears. Uh, I kept an eye, though, uh, on uh, grizzly uh, management in uh, Yellowstone because I was nearby and uh, I was visiting it. Uh, and uh, then I got a chance to uh, go back to grizzly bears in Alaska. The Katmai National Park had increased visitation, and they wanted somebody with behavioral experience to, to uh, see what uh, bears and people were doing on Brooks River. There were increasing numbers of fishermen, and photography was getting big there. So I uh, had a chance to get in right in the middle of uh, 30 or 40 uh, bears and six or 700 people all within about a kilometer. Uh, so uh, I, I really, that gave me a perspective on how bears and people can get along. It uh, got rid of um, the uh, idea that every grizzly bear is something that jumping through the woods that'll uh, see you and then kill you shortly thereafter. I knew there was uh, a possibility that we could get along with uh, bears a lot better, especially the mountain bears. Uh, and the mountain bears uh, are more food stressed. I think everybody would agree with that. And they tend to uh, not be as tolerant of people. Maybe it's surprised, but I think after the uh, closure of the dumps and the some 220 to 250 grizzlies that were shot over three years by the 
uh, shot or moved or otherwise disposed of uh, by the rangers in the park when they come into campgrounds after the dumps are closed. Uh, I, I, I uh, am a great believer that uh, bears uh, carry uh, that experience away from them, being uh, shot at. I'm sure some were wounded and went away. I think of the grizzly bears uh, in Yellowstone are fairly sensitized, and with declining foods, they're moving out into out, out of the park and out of protection. And uh, one of the reasons I'm adamantly against the delisting at this time is that I think we'll uh, we can expect a precipitous increase in the mortality. And the mortality currently is unhealthy enough, but. Uh, I think when states uh, get the management uh, of the bears, uh, it's quite clear they'll open a hunting season. And without enforcement of killing, I think we can expect uh, vandal killing and illegal killing and just people that are afraid of bears and will claim uh, defense of life and property when they shoot a bear when the bear may have no uh, ill intent, and uh, it's mine. They just uh, walk into an armed person. So the scenario of losing the protection of the Endangered Species Act, I think, at this time is uh, unwarranted. Thank you. Uh, Barry, many people don't know, don't have a context within which to put the current Yellowstone grizzly bear population size, which is estimated somewhere around 700, 750 bears. And as a scientist, maybe you can talk about this and what it might mean to hunt bears or increase um, grizzly bear mortality and killing, as you were just discussing. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. Uh, we see in the press the uh, the federal managers crowing about how we've had such a uh, comeback of the bears from the low of maybe 130 to 140 bears. Uh, you might counter argue that to say what other direction could they go unless uh, being extinguished. So uh, even if we have six or seven hundred bears. Uh, I, I think you could make the argument, probably Lance Craig has, would do better at this, but the, the question of uh, genetic uh, isolation is, is important. Bears are fairly adaptable, so, you know, the evolution of them uh, is a long-term prospect, but uh, inbreeding uh, can occur rather rapidly. And uh, I think uh, if we continue killing bears that are tend to be, if you like, the innovators, the ones that do uh, somewhat, if you like, exploratory things, whether it's with their own food base, the natural food base, or human food base, uh, we, we'll uh, be doing directional selecting. We'll be uh, shooting and uh, genetically changing the bears that are daytime bears and possibly turning them into nocturnal bears uh, over a relatively short period of time. If they learn to avoid people because of uh, mistreatment, if you like, of all kinds, any kind of negative interaction, we, uh, we can expect that they'll become smaller and uh, rarer. And this has happened in Europe over centuries. Uh, the European brown bears uh, tend to be nocturnal. They're small. 
and they uh, avoid people at all costs. Probably that's the only way they've lasted as long as they have. In uh, the north of Spain, between Spain and France, and uh, in Scandinavia, they're not quite, uh, there are more of them there. But uh, this, is a, this is a realistic possibility, and would, uh, in, extreme, in the extreme case, uh, drive theirs uh, to very low numbers, if not extinguish them. Uh, if, if people think this is... Uh, some kind of academic pie in the sky. They can read uh, Hank McCutcheon's work about the black bears uh, that he studied in Rocky Mountain Park, and there were bears there that were uh, shot outside of this small park, and they were intoler they were not tolerated near people inside the park, and they had no garbage problem. These bears went in, in the high elevation areas and did exactly what I just said. They became small. They were cryptic or shy in all cases, and there were less than 100 of them left, mainly because they didn't reproduce very well. They had a very poor food base, and, and basically they were driven by their shy behavior, which put them in areas where there weren't people, but also put them in bad food base. So coming back to the Yellowstone ecosystem grizzly bears, we know that they'd lost at least two of their major food sources and are dispersing. Now, the, the federal uh, managers have taken the position that it's because they're up to carrying capacity and they're high numbers of them, but the alternative, which I think is equally plausible scientifically, is that the food base has declined and they're spreading out and becoming less dense. They're obviously showing up down in the Wind Rivers uh, in Teton Park, uh, we're seeing more and more grizzly bears, especially some that uh, are readily seen from the side of the road. So all of those bears that go outside of Yellowstone Park and Teton Park will be exposed to killing, hunting, illegal poaching, uh, all kinds of things like that. And considering, uh, again, the biology there, they're wide-ranging, looking for food, they will no doubt be much more exposed than a population that stays within the park if they were feeding on white bark pine, for example, or uh, larvae of, uh, of moths uh, or uh, trout uh, along the 52 streams that used to have uh, used to have Yellowstone cutthroat trout. So all of the concentrated food bases uh, within the secure areas are depressed or gone. The trout are essentially gone for the bears, uh, being replaced by lake trout. And uh, so we have a situation where the behavior of the bears uh, takes them outside the park. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. One of the other issues that's come up, uh, maybe you can talk about uh, this a little more, is the genetic health of the population. Uh, being that Yellowstone's uh, grizzly bears have been isolated um, for well over 100 years now. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has proposed as part of its delisting plan to truck bears in from other ecosystems maybe every 10 years to deal with the genetic isolation. How would you deal with the issue, and do you think the isolation is a problem? Well, I certainly think it's a potential problem. You have a, a population that's isolated, and it may uh, be maintained by a relatively few number of females and males. So that's uh, a recipe for uh, genetic uh, homogeneity. Uh, one of the uh, 
better ways, of course, and, and I believe you've argued this as forcefully as anybody, is that we need connections between populations in other places. So I would like to see uh, the uh, capturing and collaring reduced or phased out and replace it with uh, captured hair DNA studies, trail cameras, and direct observations of the bears. I think we could get adequate information about numbers and what the bears are doing out there with those techniques and spend some of the effort to try and reconnect with other populations to the north and especially to the west. I think that uh, kind of a uh, connectivity is clearly more important than bringing bears in from other areas. The more we ship bears off to zoos and shoot uh, certain kinds of bears, we're immediately uh, restricting the genetic heterogeneity. Whatever uh, variation is represented by those kinds of bears is, uh, is being lost. And as I mentioned earlier, it's very easy to have directional selection and uh, rapid evolution occurring. When you get a combination of uh, behavioral change that's successful for the bear, but it may be a social trap for the bear, the bears may innovate some technique, but it could end up to their death, then uh, that, that clearly restricts uh, the genetic underpinnings, the predisposition of the genes to relate to certain kinds of behaviors. This is how evolution works. Uh, the bears uh, 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 innovate in some way, say it's a new way of catching food, and then those uh, bears that have the genetic predisposition to do that kind of innovating increase in the population and they outbreed the other animals that aren't as successful. I, I think we see this probably in Yosemite with bear problems. We get garbage feeding and backpack food feeding bears that are so successful they grow large, the males dominate the breeding and the females pass these traits on and they get what I call a behavioral epidemic. Basically, problem bears take over and the non-problem bears get, uh, get restricted and become a smaller part of the population. So basically, the park management and the bad behavior by people uh, leaving their food uh, unprotected creates a, essentially a new species of bear. Urbis garbensis, I guess. Ursus garbensis. <laughs> a population but, of raving adolescent behavior. <laughs> that's right. And uh, it's successful for the, in terms of the gene pool, but uh, it, doesn't, it ends up being uh, catastrophic for the population. And I'm a little concerned that uh, we, we don't spend enough time uh, thinking about these mechanisms in the grizzly. Well, one of the principles of wildlife management seems to be control and management of wildlife. It's not a neutral, observational, uh, observationally based um, field. It's often capturing, following, uh, intrusively based practices, and yet yeah, that, you're right. Uh, I taught in the wildlife department, and uh, hands-on stuff always uh, tends to be dominated by men. Some people think it's a substitute for hunting. You just uh, get yourself a collaring license. But uh, you're right. Uh, the range of kinds of science uh, is uh, is pretty limited. And I think we've had 40 or 50 years of radio collaring, uh, and I think it's time to do something else. 
Well, maybe you, you mentioned Yellowstone Park's research on uh, about people and their effects on bears, and I've been really interested uh, in your work on human-bear interactions in Alaska and some of the takeaway lessons perhaps for places like Yellowstone and the Northern Rockies. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, one of the, the contrasts that uh, that occurs to me and anybody that's been to uh, Brooks River or McNeil Falls is that when bears are protected from hunting for long periods of time, and Brooks River is in the middle of a very large park, and they haven't been exposed to hunting or any kinds of shooting, legal or illegal, for uh, decades, if not hundreds of years. And the, the result of this is that bears are... Uh, basically tolerant uh, of people even when they haven't had much experience with them. And when they have had a lot of experience, they've become extremely uh, tolerant, which means they essentially ignore people. And and, uh, many of the mountain bears are pretty much exactly the opposite, especially Yellowstone bears. And we need to understand why. Now, in in the... uh, Salmon stream situation like McNeil and Brooks River, you have a huge supply of food so that uh, there's tremendous pressure on the bears behaviorally to come to that food, and they have to put up with whatever uh, they tend to dislike. If they if they really don't like people that much, they have to either overcome that or wait until night to come in, or we've... Uh, dealt with bears after the camps have closed, and we stay there as researchers. And it's a, it's a bit of a dangerous time because the bears that, uh, uh, what I say, don't like people uh, because are, are the ones that will charge you on a Sunday morning when you're walking where you've walked all summer long and every bear has just ignored you. And then this, uh, this uh, new bear uh, starts bluff charging you because it doesn't like people. Well... There's the contrast. Uh, it, the, the bears in, Yellow, uh, in Yellowstone aren't the way they are totally because they're food stressed and they're competitive. There may be a certain amount of that. Bears uh, don't like other bears near them when there's, a, let's say, a small berry bush or a carcass uh, that only will feed one bear. Uh, but if you have a super abundance of salmon, then bears tend not to compete with each other. What they do is try to... Uh, wolf down as much uh, of the salmon as there are. And the uh, the Alaskan bears on salmon streams are good at that. I think it's ma- made them more, uh, a more tolerant bear, ready to accept people sooner. But uh, if we increase the food supply for bears inside the park or secure areas, and, uh, and, and, and until the bears get used to people, we should uh, restrict the... Uh, the uh, access of visitors in the park. We need to let the bears in the park get better access to higher quality food. And I have proposed in the past that that the uh, forests around the park ought to be closing roads and, in fact, uh, doing some planting of uh, berry shrubs and this sort of thing that could concentrate bears away from uh, areas that uh, people had access to. Uh, I think it's uh, it's pretty clear to me, and uh, Dr. David Matson has made the case that Yellowstone is really depauperate when it comes to uh, berry shrubs. In North America, there's something like 100 and 
30 species of uh, shrubs that produce berries that bears would eat, and uh, Yellowstone is very few of these, and I suspect that's due to the phase of the the decades in which elk ate everything up to about five feet or six feet high. And so uh, I don't think I'll ever convince uh, Yellowstone to, to plant uh, berry shrubs, but if bears got in high enough numbers, they might be moving uh, seeds around, and we could see a change in the habitat. Now, speaking of bear numbers, this brings me to another point, and that is that we shouldn't be satisfied with uh, densities of bears such that they're just representative of bear species. They should be there in densities where their ecosystem function is uh, is at what it would have been, uh, let's say, uh, 500 years ago. In that way, you have the ecosystem function by the various animals, including the carnivores and omnivores, at uh, at a natural level, and that that seems uh, to be a a, uh, a more reasonable goal. I think Joel Berger, Berger has uh, Berger has uh, made this point, as have uh, a couple of others. That wolves, uh, grizzlies, any uh, carnivore ought to be uh, present in numbers where they perform the role in the uh, ecosystem. And and having worked in Katmai for so many years, I saw this uh, in spades there with the bears uh, transporting fish into the forest, which uh, is being studied in many, many places. Bears being large can carry nutrients and seeds uh, long distances. And the uh, bears at uh, Brooks River are really unique in that they spend about four months uh, feeding on the same run of salmon at different stages in the run. So they are clearly there in uh, high densities and having a, a, a natural and large, uh, you might say, uh, uh, an optimum effect within the uh, ecosystem. And this is another reason, of course, to maintain places like Yellowstone at uh, as uh, as wild as we can, so that we still have the opportunity to understand some of these processes. That's a good suggestion. Barry, you've been translating your science and other research of other scientists and applying it in a policy context and regarding management for many, many years uh, around grizzly bears. But other scientists seem to be reluctant to speak out on controversial matters, particularly things like grizzly bear delisting. Why do you think that is, uh, even if the science and some of the science is pretty straightforward? I think there's uh, a feeling, especially in American universities and Canadian ones, that uh, your job is basically to bring the science forward and let others translate it into uh, into policy and management, and I like to think of it as values. But uh, I have a problem with some of my colleagues who wear a number of hats, but they often won't take the conservation citizen's hat uh, very often. I think they feel like you're either a popularizer or it will reduce the... Uh, if you like the purity of your research, uh, again, this uh, 
the term tyranny makes me laugh because uh, <laughs> scientists aren't, uh, there's no such thing as being a totally objective person. We all have our values, uh, if only our value to do uh, research. But uh, I, uh, I'm not a sociologist. I can't explain why my colleagues uh, in the universities don't do this, but uh, it's, it's certainly a problem. I think a lot of them know uh, what should be done. And uh, I'm, of course, retired from the university and feel like I can bring my science to bear on policy issues, and I don't mind uh, making suggestions for changes in policy if you have a, the experience and broad knowledge of theirs, like I have had the opportunity to gain. Uh, I think it's uh, it's immoral to sit on your hands and watch a, a, a bad situation get worse. If uh, if they did, you know, you're quite familiar with this with your uh, colleagues. But if we had more scientists looking at the data that the government has collected at the taxpayer's expense, I think we would have good debates about the interpretation of the data. Unfortunately, now it's closed shop. They have the data. They uh, draw the conclusions, and they make the implications for management all in a totally political atmosphere. And uh, I think this is uh, very unhealthy. We just... Yeah, they- uh, exchange prime ministers. The last one had a problem with any kind of science and was closing laboratories uh, and libraries about as fast as he could. And that's uh, that's a move that goes uh, against democracy. I think you have the more uh, transparent the information that's collected in science. If we claim to do science-based management, then we have to look at the science. So, Barry, one one of the concerns that you hear um, from people just in the public about grizzly bears is fear, Uh, fear about bear attacks, and certainly you've had your own personal experience uh, with that. How concerned do you think people should be about bear attacks, and what can they do to minimize that risk? Well, uh, the obvious thing is to learn a little more about them and uh, get some exposure. I think if you uh, spend some time uh, in Yellowstone, even if it's the side of the road, you would realize that there are lots and lots of instances where you can uh, come in contact with them. I've done that myself, even uh, in that country. But uh, I, I think uh, going in parties of three or four is always a, always a good idea. We have uh, bear spray now, which changes uh, the equation quite a bit. It, in fact, changes the behavior of the person carrying it. If you feel like you're armed, you're much more likely to stand and face a, a bear that's trying to bluff you off the trail and gives you time to back off carefully. I think uh, our friend and colleague, uh, <coughs> uh, Doug Peacock, has explained this quite well in his book. But uh, I think uh, I think uh, going out with uh, nature guides and this sort of thing uh, probably helps people uh, uh, decrease uh, their fear level or anxiety. Most fear and anxiety comes from uh, an ignorance of what to do, and uh, a few 
bromides don't help. You can't tell someone how to be a good sea captain in a half-hour lecture. Uh, <laughs> you have to build up uh, experience over time. But I think the the, uh, the fear of bears is uh, much overdone. Uh, it is wilderness country, and you have to accept the risks, but uh, it, it shouldn't stop you from going out for an afternoon walk in, in a meadow. I wouldn't like to see uh, 20,000 people go into the back country uh, in a hurry because we've all lost our uh, anxieties about bears. I think a certain amount of the country should be left to the bears by themselves. So, Barry, how optimistic are you that Yellowstone grizzly bears can finally be recovered? Well, I'm optimistic that they can be recovered because we do uh, see some uh, some management policy changes like tolerating uh, bears at the sides of the road, the habituation uh, idea that I think Kerry uh, Gunther, the bear biologist, has, uh, has promoted quite successfully and I think convinced uh, managers and superintendents. But uh, if we go in the direction of delisting, I'm, uh, I'm not at all optimistic uh, because I think the bears will spread out and uh, they're wide-ranging enough that a large proportion of them will be exposed to killing on the outside. I'll never forget a lesson I listened to from uh, Al Lovis uh, in Alaska when he was uh, the regional chief scientist uh, for the Alaska region, and he told me that uh, every wolf pack in Denali Park was exposed to trapping at the at the periphery. They were no more managing a protected population wolves than. Uh, then uh, I'm the king of Siam. You know, we have these ideas <laughs> that the grizzlies are, are protected in Yellowstone, but uh, they are not protected if they're captured continuously and they're going outside and being killed legally or illegally outside the park. So uh, I think we need protected zones, a big boundary around park, and, and even beyond where they're currently seen that uh, the bears maintain their protected status. I think opening a hunting season is uh, absolutely the wrong direction. I don't think grizzly bears are a huntable species. They're hunted as though they're vermin, and I think it's a question of values that we value grizzlies too much to treat them as uh, just a, 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 another huntable population. I think we should have uh, species that are never hunted, doesn't matter what the numbers are, and you might pick uh, some kinds of... Uh, uh, swans or something like that that are protected just because they're beautiful birds and I think oh, we could do the same for grizzly bears You have been listening to Louisa Wilcox with Grizzly Times speaking today with Dr. Barry Gilbert animal behaviorist and grizzly bear expert Thank you Barry 